Let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. We are returning to our series on the Empowered Church after taking a few weeks out talking about community groups and looking at it from uh, various different angles. And we've been very encouraged by the wonderful sign-up already for those groups. Um, Let me say so that I, I won't necessarily have to say at the door to each of you, we had a wonderful vacation. Um, you were missed. We uh, missed being here. We had a, amazing weather, great family time, a uh, good time of rest. Uh, both Sundays, uh, we worshiped on the beach. Now, let me clarify that. Not like some of you worship on the beach. We actually went to a worship service on the beach uh, where there was an actual, another pastor, and uh, they sang and uh, took an offering. So, you know, it was a real service, and it, it, it was a good time. I, I wasn't quite sure how to act the first Sunday, so there I am in my swimming suit and tie, and... The pastor always starts out, though, I think in, a, in a, uh, a neat way, he says, welcome to the most beautiful cathedral in the world. And that's hard to dispute. You're there facing uh, the ocean. And it, it probably is the most beautiful cathedral in the world. And yet, uh, I missed our music And even bigger than that, I missed our family of God uh, worshiping. Uh, It was a delight to sit with my family, which is unusual, but uh, missed being with you all. Dear Lord, so far today, I am doing okay. I haven't gossiped, I haven't lost my temper, I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, self-indulgent, but Lord, in a few minutes I'm going to have to get out of bed, (laughs) and then I'm really going to need your help. That is a prayer that anyone from the Apostle Paul to us could pray. The need for help, for real and genuine help. Now, I'm going to read you this passage, and I I want you to ask yourself, because it's not evident if you just read it in a quick and cursory way, I want you to ask yourself, uh, what was Paul's emotional state? here with what was going on. Now, he is on his second missionary journey, and uh, he's in Corinth, and this is what the Bible says. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. 
And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow together. Lord, will you help us? I have no doubt in my mind that there are some who have come here today with some kind of discouragement or grief or difficulty or disappointment. Yes, there are those that are celebrating and have been renewed. We are a mix of all of those, Lord. And so we need to be reminded of how you minister to your children. Will you do that today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take a look at uh, Paul's challenges, and some of it will be a little bit of review, remembering uh, what's gone on uh, before. Not a great deal of that. I'm depending upon you that... Uh, you're, you're following along. Uh, he is in, in, now in Corinth. And as you know, there's, there's two letters uh, to the Corinthians. At the beginning of the first letter, he says this. And this may give us a little insight into what his emotional state was and so on. Uh, he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First verse, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we see he was, he was focused, but listen to this, verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Why would he say weakness, fear, 
much trembling. That's not how I usually picture the Apostle Paul. And yet he admits to them right up front, when I was there, when I was among you, that was what was going on inside of me. Why? What could have been some of the factors that caused this weakness, fear, and trembling to be taking place? And then what did God do about it? Well, let me give you some what I see as uh, factors, and and I'll I'll start with maybe the simplest one, and that is uh, uh, physical physical difficulties. Now, while I was on vacation, I read the book Unbroken. I don't know if any of you have uh, read that book. It's, it's an outstanding book. I don't recommend it for vacation. That's not your basic beach book. Uh, it's, it's about a, a, a someone who in World War II was shot down. They survive in the ocean uh, for a record period of time. You can imagine what that was like. And then when they get to land, uh, or, uh, they're found finally, but uh, then they're captured. And he was a POW for several years, and it talks about the awful treatment of him. You know, at one point on vacation, I, I, I said to the family, you know, everybody was talking about whatever they were reading. I said, I'm, I think I'm going to put this one down. This is not relaxing to me. Uh, it talked about torture, hunger, um, you know, how he was, uh, uh, they wouldn't let him sleep, and how they broke them down, and it was physical. It was physical, but that physical took its toll ultimately on them emotionally. Some of them never recovered, ever recovered from it. By the way, I, I still recommend the book because it's redemptive in the end. I was so glad I finished it um, because of what, what took place. Uh, for Paul, we see the kinds of things. He was in Philippi, and we've talked about all of these. He was severely flogged and imprisoned in Thessalonica. I'm getting back from vacation. There was a riot uh, in Berea. He's hustled out of town. Uh, because of opposition, uh, traveled to Athens. Um, you remember his opposition there. Uh, imagine the physical toll, even just the travel here. There were no planes and trains and automobiles at that time. And most commentators estimate that his, he wasn't finished with his second missionary journey, but that the journey itself was 2,800 miles. Imagine the physical toll. That, just the travel by itself, would have been exhausting, much less uh, the opposition. He's dealing with physical things. And then he's dealing with a lack of outward results. Now, you might say, well, that's not a very spiritual thing to say. Why would he be concerned? And, and it's true. In kingdom work, we should not take our encouragement from just outward results. Neither should we say, well, we don't 
paying attention, outward results uh, at all, and using that as an excuse for no outward results. I've um, generally, you know, in talking to younger pastors, I say, look, don't get too excited uh, or too bummed out on any Monday about what your attendance was the day before. You know, you don't, you don't want your week to be determined. We had a big attendance, and so you feel good all week, or the attendance is down, and you feel crummy all week. That, but that's a, that's a temptation. We're, we're human in that. Now, think about Paul. He knew the history of the church. He was persecuting it. He knew that there were days where, boom, 3,000 were added. He never saw that, not under his ministry. He saw a few here, a few there. He went into cities and left without a church being established, run out of town. Could that have taken its toll on him? He's human. He was human. You know, I've often said, I never mind cutting my grass because uh, that's one of the few things in my life that I can get to the end and say, hmm, I, I did something. <laughs> you know, I actually did it. I, I finished it. Now, it grows back, but it's, it's something that for me is, is objective, whereas most of what I do you can't measure. And I'll probably never know the measure of it. Let me, let me give you a side panel here. It's not from the text. It's an application, though. If you know the pastor of a small church, pray for him. If you know the pastor, whether it's in a small town or in a big city, and he's in a small church, Pray that God would encourage him in what he's doing. And if you don't know a pastor of a small church, you drive by small churches on your way here every Sunday. Pray for those pastors. I do that on my way here. When I see one car there early in the morning, sometimes no cars there, I'll pray for that pastor on that day. They need encouragement. Another thing Paul uh, was experiencing, we do know this, was a, a lack of fellowship. Now, I didn't put loneliness in here uh, because we don't see him express that. But he was alone for a time. You might not have picked up on that, but uh, basically he had left co-workers in Berea to teach the church. That was a good thing. It was necessary. But it must have been more difficult for him to go to Athens alone uh, and then on to Corinth. This week, I was corresponding with a, another pastor. That's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? We were emailing each other. Correspondence sounds like we're writing longhand or something. But uh, I found out that he was going to Hyderabad, India to teach. And I've taught there. And so I emailed him and, and uh, told him what it was like when I was there and that type of a, a thing. And 
He'll have a wonderful ministry there, I'm sure. But it, it caused me in the midst of this to remember uh, an event that I will never forget when I was there in Hyderabad. I was supposed to go with another pastor. His visa never came through in God's providence. So I made the trip through <laughs> Uh, Pakistan, and then to Bombay at the time, now Mumbai, and then to Hyderabad. And I remember it was about the second day there. The first day, everybody's, you know, getting you, you're getting settled and so on. And it was night after everything had gone uh, on. And I, I went up on the roof of the little flat I was in. I was the only person in the building. And it was during Thanksgiving I knew my family was celebrating Thanksgiving. And I had this profound sense of loneliness. You know, I was thinking, I'm here, and my family is almost literally halfway around the world. And I'm by myself. Now, I wasn't, but I had that real sense. And... I felt it right in the pit of my stomach. Some of you felt that. You know what that's like. I wonder, I wonder if Paul ever felt that in his struggles here. And then he was having, there were financial issues as well. Um, it says, uh, verse 2 and 3, he found a Jew named Aquila. Um, he, a little further down, he went to see them. Because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Um, basically, here's the situation. Uh, he, he, he wasn't being supported. He had to eat like everyone else. And so in our day, we've heard of tent makers. We've heard of tent maker pastors because of this situation, that what that usually means is a pastor preaches part-time and has another kind of job part-time. And around the world, that's very, very common. When I was in Ukraine, uh, a Ukrainian pastor's wife that I met there, and, and she said, my husband's a tent maker. She said, uh, Do you, are you a full-time pastor? And I said, mm, yeah. Pretty much, you know, so, uh, but that's very common around the world uh, for tent makers. Well, what, what, what happened here is that uh, he had to go to, and tent making, by the way, uh, the, literally, this is speaking of being a leather worker. All the tents were made of leather, um, but they probably especially did that. James Montgomery Boyce said this, and uh, he said, when I get to heaven, which is where he is now, but he said, uh, I'm not going to ask about theology. I'm going to say, Lord, why is it that when we were trying to do your work, so many solid evangelical efforts operated hand to mouth, while others that seemed to offer only the chaff of religion thrived? The hucksters raked in millions of dollars which they wasted while faithful workers struggled? It's a good question. It's a good question. And I know for many, that's a great burden, financial burden. And then emotional. Uh, verse 6, Paul was rejected and persecuted by his own 
people. It says this, verse 6, when they opposed and reviled him. Now, I, I don't want you to underestimate what's, what he's about to say here. He is a Jew who has come to Christ. He's ministering to Jews, and, and this is what happens. They opposed, they reviled him. He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent from now on. I will go to the Gentiles. Now you may say, okay, well he was, you know, he was having at it and he was in good shape. He was being tough, giving tough love and that kind of thing. You know what? Go, go over to Romans 9. The first few verses there. And you'll see how tough he was at this point. Over there, he says, basically, you know, I... I have such a burden for my own people that if I could, I would give up my own salvation. It's basically what he says. It's unbelievable. I, I, don't, I don't think I could say that except maybe for my own family members. And it'd be hard then. And he said that for the Jewish people. So imagine the emotional turmoil that he was in at this point. As he is sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they are rejecting him and persecuting him. So how did God minister to his child? I'm going to quickly look at that. Uh, think of the things we've just talked about. And one way is he gave him friends and support. Uh, he found a Jew named Aquila, verse 2. Um, and his wife Priscilla, and he went to see them. And then verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, uh, Paul was occupied uh, with the Word. And some versions translate that differently. It almost looks like when they got there, he was rejuvenated. Rejuvenated in, in his calling. And you know what? The last four weeks, we've been talking about community groups, and, and one of the things we're saying is we're not made to be alone. And here he was. He had been alone, and God gave him the opportunity to be with others. Here's my encouragement to you. If you're discouraged about something, the worst thing you can do is withdraw. Now, that may be the first thing you want to do, but that's the worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do is to engage. This week, I got, uh, while I was in a, a series of meetings with people, I got a voicemail from a friend uh, who is also a pastor from another state, and not verbatim, and I'm not going to give you the details, but he basically said, and I could tell by the sound in his voice, he said, I've, I've just gotten some terrible news, and I know you've been through this, and I need to talk to you. And so I, of course, as quickly as I could, I called him up, and sure enough, there was a parallel with something that I had been through. 
And I thought as, you know, as I saw this, God, what, what a gift the body of Christ is. Not that I was a big gift to him, but him just knowing that someone else has been through it and how the Lord worked. And, you know, we're a few years down the line from going through what he's now about to enter into. And everyone in the body has experiences like that. That there's somebody ahead of you that's been through it and there's somebody behind you that at some point you can share with them. He provided for him. Uh, we see this, and I won't elaborate on that, but verse 3 and verse 9, um, basically uh, he had been working, and uh, he's, it says uh, the brothers who came from Macedonia, this is over in 2 Corinthians, supplied what I needed. So evidently the churches had, uh, were now supporting him, and then this is what God says to him in verse 9. Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. So if he had any temptation at that point to say, you know, I'm trying to work a job. I'm trying to do this. God said, focus. This is your calling. And then we see God blessing his work. Verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Now look, we, we, again, we should not just be encouraged when there are outward measurable things we can see. And yet, there is encouragement when God is working. And that's what he sees here. And then he communicated with him. Verse 9 and 10, uh, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. Now, ordinarily today, God does not communicate in a vision or a dream. I'm never going to tell God what he can and can't do, but he has given us the word of God. This is not a cliche. He's given us the whole Bible that that. Paul didn't even have at that point. And that's ordinarily how he encourages us, how he teaches us. What was the message he gave to him? Well, it's the same message for us. Verse 10. For I am with you. No one will attack you or harm you, uh, for I have many in this city who are my people. That's all well and good. That's just one city he's not going to be attacked in. He's going to die at the hands of others at some point. But God's message was, I'm with you. And that's what these things show. The fact that he provided for him, the fact that he gave him friends, the fact that he blessed his work, the fact that he communicated with them, were all proving what God says in verse 10, for I am with you. And here's what I want you to know about that. It's not new. That's not a new message to Paul. It was uttered to Joseph when he was in slavery. To Moses when he said, I can't speak. 
to Joshua to Gideon. Isaiah, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That Jesus was telling the truth at the end of his ministry. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. I'm with you. I've told you about Doug and Lynn Wheeler from my previous church. She was our children's director who was in a a terrible accident on a Christmas morning on the way to church and is a quadriplegic. And there were days we didn't know whether she would live or die. She's been here to speak to our women. As we sang today, I I couldn't help but remembering how Doug would respond, especially in those early days. You know, you don't even know what to say to a husband that's going through that with his wife. And so people would say just, how you doing, Doug? And he would say this, it is well with my soul. And then for those that knew him well enough, he'd say, everything else has fallen apart, but it is well with my soul. God was with him is with him. And so, you who are grieving, or will be, you who are lonely, ill, facing illness with someone you love, you who are having marriage problems, problems with your children, problems with grown children. If you are in Christ, he says to you, I am with you. Is there anything that would cause us to think that God has changed his ways and will abandon us? And the answer is no. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, you didn't promise that we wouldn't go through things, but you said you'd be there. Help us to cling to that. Whatever's going on, to know that if we are in Jesus Christ, it is well with our soul. Amen.